Hello, and welcome to Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm your host, Pacifico Soldati. The show explores topics from law and business to consciousness, spirituality, and everything in between. We feature accomplished leaders across many fields to help you get more out of your life. You can learn more and stay up to date at theluepodcast.com. If you're not familiar with my background, I'm a helper, parent, marketer, attorney outlaw, certified mediator, story brand guide, omnist, yoga teacher, and a former paratrooper and award-winning army chef at the 82nd Airborne Division and U.S. Army Special Operations Command. I'm the founder and CEO of the Soldati Group, a marketing agency helping startups, small businesses, and law firms leverage the power of story to grow their businesses. Law, Universe, and Everything is a production of the Soldati Group. All opinions expressed by the hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of the Soldati Group or guest employers. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and these discussions do not constitute legal or investment advice. Today's episode is brought to you by Sleepyhead. She's the dreamer of dreams, the walking, talking nap, a snoozer and a muser. Children and adults alike will delight in this adventure to the heart of dreamland as Sleepyhead fends off the primordial urge to Z. We are all a little sleepyhead, waking to the world with wonder and hope. From the brain of award-winning clown Gemma Soldati, this otherworldly interactive hour explores the source of imagination and the tick-tock of our internal clock. The Adventures of Sleepyhead promises better dreams and a good night's sleep or your money back. For dreamers of all ages, visit patreon.com slash sleepyheadshow to support the Sleepyhead Show for stage, web, and TV. My guest today is Steve McChesney. After a three-year Army stint, Steve attended Sherwood Oaks Experimental College, a Hollywood, California private film school. He went on to stunt school studying under Kim Kahana and has appeared as a stuntman, actor, or background in 350-plus movies and television shows. Steve is a member of the Directors Guild of America with producer credits including the feature film Michael Winslow Live, up late with Murray Langston, the unknown comic, which he directed, and associate producer on Michael Winslow's Comedy Cruise. He directed the home-based business shows and success stories and Ron Seggi's Rock and Roll Legends featuring Ed McMahon. Steve recently co-produced and directed WCW and WWE Wrestling Superstar The Bill DeMond Experience. His earlier jobs, restaurant owner, talent manager, roadie, martial arts instructor, taxi driver, cooking show host, salesman, magician, stage hypnotist, and father all prepared him for his career now as a results coach in business, sales, and marketing. Thank you so much for joining me today, Steve, and welcome to the show. Hey, Pacifico. Thank you so much. Wow. I didn't realize I did all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it adds up over the years, right? It certainly does. <laughs> So you, yeah, you have so much to start with. Such an interesting background. It's interesting. I you went to the army and then went to Hollywood. I went to Hollywood and then went to the army. So we got some parallels there. I'd love to know how you got into stunt work, though. Throughout when I was a kid, I was a gymnast in high school. I've always been a, a thrill seeker. I was into martial arts. So when I was in the army, believe it or not, and I hate to tell this story because it makes me sound bad, but I, I read a Playboy magazine. And in the Playboy magazine, they had the girls of stunts, Hollywood stunt women. And they talked about this stunt school that that they went to. And so I made a note of what that school was. So when I got out of the army, I knew I was going to go straight to that school. Funny. Oh, wow. That is an interesting route to get in there. (laughs) 
I can definitely see the motivation. I'll actually go a little sooner than that. I'll I'll go back a little younger when I was a kid. You know, I I grew up in Hollywood. And after I went to Santa Monica Elementary School on Santa Monica Boulevard, and that was two blocks away from the Hollywood Cemetery. Now, the Hollywood Cemetery backs up to Paramount Studios. So I, I used to get out of school and I used to sneak into Paramount and I used to go watch them filming all kinds of stuff. So I, I loved that whole concept of the movie business. And that stayed with me all through my childhood. And I used to sneak onto sets like uh, the Deck Van Dyke show, Gomer Pyle, Bonanza, shows like that. And I got to the point where they all knew who I was. Even I didn't have to sneak in after a while. The guards knew me at the gate. So I just walk in. I was the kid that everybody knew. So I was always into it in the first place. So when I was in the army and saw that Playboy article, I said, well, this is my first step of getting back into Hollywood. I'm going to go to Kim Kahana's stunt school. Now, Kim Kahana, he was Charles Bronson's stunt double. But some of the people in my age group are going to remember the old banana splits hour on, it was a Saturday morning show. And on it, they had a, a live serial called Danger Island. It was with Jan Michael Vincent. And Kim Kahana was actually one of the stars. He played Chongo on that little series. So quite a history from Kim, but great stunt teacher. Got me into the stunt business. One of the things he taught us was how to sneak into studios. I said, Kim, I was doing that since I was a kid. I got that. I did. And it's a matter of not so much who knows who, it's who knows you. And I got to know everybody on the sets, the grips, the gaffers, the production assistants, the directors, the assistant directors, and pretty soon they knew who I was. So it wasn't that difficult for me to end up getting my SAG card and getting into the business. It was great. I loved it. I, I, like I said, I did over 350 movies and TV shows. Some of the ones that some of the people listening to this podcast might have seen, Starsky and Hutch and Wonder Woman and Battlestar Galactica. And I ended up getting hurt on The Incredible Hulk and it ended my stunt career. Didn't have to. I was, I was very successful. And all of my stunt buddies, they'd all broken their bones and they're wired together. That was the stuntman's life. But for me, it was a pain I never wanted to go through again. So I moved on to the next adventure in my life. <laughs> wow, it's quite the illustrious career. I got started in Hollywood right, like literally weeks before the writer's strike started. So I've had my first gig as a production assistant and then unpaid just proved my worth working like 16 hour days but it was like you do what you love you'll never work a day in your life and i'd get off set like two three in the morning after a 16 hour day and i'd just be like all right what's next what are we doing like let's go yeah i I absolutely loved it and getting to know everyone in all the different fields and all every single person that just makes everything to come together which for most people is just a huge wall of text and the credits of a movie but it's just incredible the way people are able to work together i think it's one of the more collaborative environments out there just to really be able to make that magic happen and coordinate across dozens or hundreds of people it's really incredible isn't it i mean oh indeed the best dance. Oh, I, I totally agree. Totally agree. And you know, I got to the point I was like, did well enough. I came back, got my paid, got a paid gig for reshoots, and I was like, all right, this is, it's all happening. And and then the next week, the writer strike started, and they were like, okay, <laughs> all we got left is like reality TV, and you know, I wanted to be a cinematographer, so I was like, oh hell no, <laughs> this is terrible. And so I lasted a little bit longer, and then finally was like, all right, I'm gonna go join the army. I got too many student loans to. Uh, doing reality tv (laughs) so did you ever go back to it did you ever you know i haven't yet i think the other thing too is i was like all right like i'm a like 21 year old kid with nothing to say no stories or anything so i was like all right i'm gonna go out and you know make some stories and 
now I have a shitload of stories, <laughs> but I've got some other, got some other things, but it's, yeah, it's always been something I wanted to circle back to eventually. And maybe, maybe my fifties or sixties, nice retirement plan. Just go back to Hollywood, hang out and write some screenplays or hell, honestly, I would go back on set as a production assistant at 60 years old and just like chill. Cause like, I loved it. You're just going and helping every, I mean, I'm a helper by nature, being able to have your hands in just about everything. Obviously you can't touch like electric but you know, they're pretty hardcore, but pretty much everything else you can have a hand in. And I love that. I love getting to know the costume people, the makeup people, craft services, the grips, like everyone, the cinematographers and being able to talk to everyone about what they do and why they love it and why they're there. Um, it's like being on set. If you're on the right set and it's a good environment, it's like a family. And I, I just love that dynamic. And yeah, we would definitely go back someday for sure. I agree with you. And I, I love being on the set too. And just, like a great example of that, I worked on Hook and oh, cool. Dustin, Dustin Hoffman, he used to ask me to help him fence, to practice his fencing skills. And there we are on the set of Hook and I'm fencing with Dustin Hoffman. I mean, it's, wow, who can say that? Uh, just a wild time. I actually, I stayed in the business after I got out of stunt work. I I, uh, I opened a restaurant. I was a cook in the army, by the way. And Oh, me too. <laughs> yeah. So food was in my blood. And since I didn't want to do stunt work anymore, I made a pretty good amount of money. So I opened a restaurant in Encino on Ventura Boulevard. And I also stayed in the business as far as talent. I became a talent manager. And I ended up representing a couple of Hollywood celebrities. But the one that probably people know the most was the gentleman who was in all the Police Academy movies. His name is Michael Winslow. And he did all the noises with his voice. Oh, yeah. Yep. He and I were together for 18 years. I, I was with him long before Police Academy. He was my first client and we ended up going on the gong show and won the gong show. Woohoo! Got a trophy. I think the check was $137. It wasn't a whole lot. <laughs> it was a start. But yeah, we stayed together for 18 years, did seven Police Academy movies, did a Police Academy TV series and a bunch of other movies. We did a couple of Cheech and Chong films. And so I, I loved the business, but I'm also a businessman. So my restaurant was doing very well. Part of that was because it was in Encino. I met, I have a lot of celebrity friends at the time and they all lived in Tarzana and the hills right there in the valley. So they would come to my restaurant. And once the public knew that there were celebrities in the restaurant, of course they wanted to come. So it was the best of all worlds for me. The problem was after two years, I felt like I had no life. It was seven days a week on that restaurant, which was great. I was making good money, but I had no life. So I made the decision to sell the restaurant and which is okay. I don't regret anything I've ever done because it all led to where I, what I do today. The restaurant, by the way, is still there. It's still, I don't think it's as successful as it was when I had it only because the celebrity stopped going after a while, but I ended up opening martial arts schools and had the first one. I loved it. I loved helping the kids, loving doing that. And then I opened a second one, then I opened a third one and I was back in the restaurant business. It was seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And I went, no, this isn't what I want to do. So it's just a lot of amazing things. But that's what life is all about, really. You just go, the lessons you learn on each occupation that you do, a lot of people look at some of their occupations as being a bad thing. They're not happy in their job. I'm a firm believer if you're not happy in your job, you should find a different job. However, don't discount the lessons you're learning in the job that you're doing, because it will come back to play later on in your life. I, I, I am a, 
I know that so well. Uh, we'll give you a good example. The Pacific. Oh, think back about the the screenwriting you said you wanted to do. When I was in film school, Sid Field was my screenwriting instructor. And I don't know if you know who he is, but he has a great oh, book wow. out there called Screenplay. But he was my instructor. And I learned so much by writing screenplays about the human emotion and what motivates people and, and how that works. And I apply that today with my copywriting skills. And I, when I talk to businesses about how to you know, write good copy, you need to be able to affect the emotion of your customer. And it's the same thing in screenwriting. It does the same thing. So I didn't realize it back then that that would apply later on in my life in, in, in copywriting, but it did. So you never know what, what what you're doing and what how it's going to apply later on. I same thing with hypnosis. I was a stage hypnotist for a, a short period. I would have stayed a stage hypnotist because I loved it. It was so much fun. It just didn't make me enough money. That's why I didn't stay in it. But going through the process of learning hypnosis and what hypnosis is and and how it works in the subconscious mind again plays out to what I do today when it comes to marketing and how you market to things. You're dealing with the subconscious mind of, of the consumer. So Again, you never know until later on of why you did what you did was important. Some people call it your destiny, and I, I truly believe there's some truth to that. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I'm definitely someone who's, I've always believed diversity and variety is spice of life. Love to travel, love to get all over the world, see different ways people live, and then have different jobs and have different experiences so that I think it builds up your empathy muscle. You always talk about everyone should work a year in retail or work a year in food service because it's just like dealing with people at their best and worst. You just give a different picture of humanity. And I think it helps you do a lot of different things. And even those, the worst jobs you've ever had taught you so many lessons that can give you so much value. And then what, to me, what it's really all about is then building a really diverse background so that then you can become and create something like no one's ever seen before. Like how many former army chef stuntmen are there out there that then transition into marketing and book writing and all sorts of stuff. And it's the same with myself. Like I'm, I was a army chef. I was a paratrooper. I did got a JD MBA. I'm now a marketer. I do a podcast. I'm a certified yoga teacher. I do a little bit of everything. So it's, and then it's really nice for the podcast too. It's like people come on and it's way easier to have stuff in common with people when you've done a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And so I think the conversations like are better, they're more robust. And, and on this show, it's all about helping people reimagine who they are, what their life can be. I and mean, it's all about recontextualizing like, hey, if you look back on your life and you were to piece a lot of it together into a current whole, like what could you do with that? And how could you make something unique and different that nobody's seen before? Right. Oh, exactly. I will tell you, I was told this by one of the mentors I've had along the way, and it, it, it didn't make that much sense to me when he first told me, but it certainly does now. And I'll share that with you. He told me that your life is actually in four quarters, if you think of it in a football analogy. The first quarter is when you're born until you're 20. In that quarter, you can't wait to be an adult. You have no idea how good you actually have it because you have no real responsibilities. <laughs> you can't wait to be an adult. Your second quarter is from when you're 20 to 40. And that quarter is where you learn a lot of your life's lessons. That's where you learn a lot. You, there's a lot of mistakes made. You fall down on your face a few times. You learn to put yourself, pull yourself back up. You know, that's where the lessons are learned. And then you have the third quarter, which is between 40 and 60. 
And 40 and 60, that third quarter should be the quarter that you're really starting to see some success in your life, whether it's financial, uh, whether it's just emotional, marriage, things like that, family, that happens generally in your third quarter. Then you have the fourth quarter of life, and that's when you're 60 until you depart this planet. And that's where I'm at right now. I'm 63. And in that fourth quarter, because of the first three quarters, you should look back on your life and go, wow, what a ride. It was awesome. I'm sliding into home plate. I'm not just running into home plate. I'm sliding into home plate. And I truly believe that's a great analogy for people to think about. So wherever you are in your life, whichever quarter you are, it's okay. If you made a mistake and you're in the quarter two, that's what that quarter is all about. You know what I mean? So it just was a great analogy for me. And and, and I look back on my life and I, I see the truth in it because it's, it was true for me. Oh, I love that. I think it's a, I think it's a great framework there. And it's so true. Just being able to actually embrace the entire journey. Cause yeah, when you're a kid, all you want to do is be an adult. And then especially see now with a lot of millennials and Gen Z is people are like, Oh, wait, what? This is overrated. It's, it's all what you make of it. And I turned 18 a few days before 9-11. So like my entire adult life has just been an absolute shit show of war and carnage around the world. But there's also been a lot of really cool things. And I've had I've been able to have a lot of really cool experiences and build a really cool life and get to do a lot of different things. And to me, it's all about embracing that diversity. Whereas I see people that work in the same job for 40 or 50 years. And I'm just like, Wow. I guess like props to you. I could not do that. I think right. I, the army was probably the longest I've lasted at a single job, <laughs> which was kind of crazy. It was like six and a half years. But other than that, it's just, okay, now I got to go do something different. I need, I need excitement. I need some novelty. I like to stay on the, the cutting edge of certain areas just to be able to see, Hey, what's next? What's going to happen? Um, what's the next generation going to be like? What are my children's generation going to be like? Cause I think okay. there's just so much cool things happening now that there are. And it's, that was the whole inspiration behind my book. My, my book was called rearranging change, how you market to an ever changing world. And that's really what it's about is the generational changes. I talk about the five generations in the book, all the way from the traditional generation to baby boomers, to gen X, to millennials, to gen Z. Now we do have a sixth generation who's starting to come up now, but they're way too young for us to even talk about yet. But those five generations have distinct differences. My generation, I'm a baby boomer. And back in the 60s, there was a lot going on in the world. There was a lot of, we had the civil rights movement going on. The women's movement was happening. You also had peace, love, and rock and roll. It was Woodstock. It was, it was the flower children. There was a lot happening. There was a lot of turmoil going on, especially because of Vietnam and what was going on in Vietnam. But I really look back and I think the real reason of the turmoil was the transfer of power. The transfer of power. It was going from the traditional generation and it was being handed over to the baby boomers. And I think anytime there's a transfer of power, you have turmoil in the world. And I only bring that up because of what's happening today. We had a lot of turmoil going on with everything and not being political at all here, but with Black Lives Matter and just uh, the turmoil in the street, the Trump campaign, the just the world. What's really happening? There's a transfer of power going on. It's being transferred from the baby boomers now to the millennials. And anytime you have the transfer, now there, was, there hasn't been a transfer since the 60s with the traditional generation to the baby boomers until now from the baby boomers to the millennials. 
And then you know what? Millennials are going to skip Gen Z. The next transfer of power will be to the generation following Gen Z. And you're going to have turmoil in the streets again. It just happens. It's history repeating itself over and over again. And it's just interesting to look back at it and see the similarities that are happening of how society and humans actually work. Crazy. And I also think about Gen Z, the newest generation, because if you think about it, they've never been alive on this planet without Amazon. I mean, they're, they want things delivered to them and they're demanding it. And we're starting to see it in business. We're starting to see more companies like, you know, DoorDash and Uber Eats and things are being delivered to people nowadays. That's because that generation is demanding. It's just crazy. I love it. I love watching it. Yeah, actually, I think it's fascinating to see like just the rate of technological development because I'm a Xennial. I was born in 83, so I'm the right. oldest of four. My sister is the youngest. She was born in 1990. And I remember not having a computer. She doesn't remember not having internet. And now with my kids, they're born, they're like five and seven now. Like they were born with FaceTime. Like they're used to automatic global face like virtual calling and stuff like that and so to me it's almost like i see these sort of micro generations emerging so they we have zennials i think were the first one that people honed in on just because we had analog childhoods and then digital adolescence and adulthood i think if you actually grind down on it a bit more i think it's going to continue to happen because you're if you look at different different breakthroughs whether it's like social media 1.0 2.0 the emergence of ai different technologies that people will be interfacing with once you have these things coming out with an exponential increase in computing power someone who's born even five years apart someone who's born in 2025 and 2030 they may have a dramatically different experience whereas before it would take Right. 20, 30 years to have that different of an experience. And now everything has just become so compressed. And so you get these little micro generations where it's, oh, kids today just like grew up on TikTok, which I think is the, you know, biggest, most important technology in terms of the democratization of information since the printing press. People can get on there, share anything from anywhere in the world about how they live, how they do things and things on there you don't find anywhere else. And also just being able to learn things in 15 to 60 second bite-sized pieces, I think is also transformative. I think about, I got a JD MBA and I loved my professors in, in my MBA program, but so much of an MBA is theoretical and it's also built for 50 years ago and they really haven't updated things when i got there in 2017 they were like oh we're rebranding for like a digital transformation and it's you should have done that 20 years ago and it's like every but that's the way everything every institution is it's every institution no matter how progressive is still somewhat conservative because it is an institution and it just moves at a glacial pace and so I've learned more on TikTok in six months about business and marketing and all sorts of stuff than I did in my MBA because it's practical. It's actually like, here's some tactical stuff. Here's what you can do. Here's how you do it. Not just like the why you do something. It's interesting. I, because I am a baby boomer, of course, I'm always a little bit, takes me a little bit longer to catch up with what's happening in social media. However, one of the uh, businesses that I have, I created an app and the only city I have is New Orleans right now. But if you ever go to New Orleans, you can download my app. It's called New Orleans at Your Feet. And your phone actually becomes your tour guide. It's uh, all narrated. It's a walking tour. I have a ghost tour. I have a garden district tour. And I have a city tour. 
And, but I went on to, I went down to New Orleans and I shot little 30 second, you know, snippets of me in front of the different locations, talking about the locations. And I put those on TikTok. I went from zero followers to over 8,000 followers in just like a month and a half, just because of those little snippets. Yeah, it's wild. And I, I, it's very wild. But back to what you were talking about, like your kids. One of the things that I'm going to see with kids is it, education is definitely going to be different because right now there's no homework. If you get homework, all that kid has to do is say, Alexa, how do you spell Czechoslovakia? <laughs> and there's the answer. There's not really a whole lot of looking up anything anymore. It's all done with voice and it's all done instantaneously. The one area that I'm interested in seeing in, in how it's going to go on, one of the things that is consistent no matter what generation or what era you're from, money has been a strong factor on how the world is run. From the Roman Empire, through the world wars, through today, finances, money is what is the big motivator for almost every government. But here's the biggest difference. We're going now from a fiat currency that we are currently in in this country, in the U.S. dollar, to cryptocurrency. I think cryptocurrency is the next financial asset that people really need to keep an eye on because that, I think, is part of the future right there. Yeah, I think it's going to be completely transformative. And it's interesting because like people people talk about, oh, I'm getting in too late or something. And it's barely one. Yeah, it's like barely one percent of the world holds any type of cryptocurrency and while you have stuff like coinbase you have some like marginally user-friendly applications yeah by and large no one has really broken through to the mainstream like we're still just in the early adopter phase and we still haven't gotten obviously like art nfts had a moment like over the last like three months and the market's kind of crashing a little bit now but NFTs are going to be huge for changing how mortgages are done, changing how property is owned, changing how you get a title for your car. Everything is going to be digitized and decentralized. And of course, the front runners, just like in film, right? Like the front runners are always pornography and, and other people like on the cutting edge of things. And it's like the art world is on the cutting edge of cryptocurrency, but and NFTs and such. And it's just going to follow the same patterns as many other industries do. And so it's interesting to be like at the, on the edge of the cliff seeing, okay, this is going to get huge, but like, we're still five or 10 years away from like real mainstream adoption, still releasing Bitcoin, everything there's, we still got a long way to go there, but I think the best things in crypto haven't even been invented yet. Like we're just getting started and it's going to be a really cool journey. It is going to be a cool journey. And I had somebody told me, which I thought interesting because nobody knows where it's going yet, but like Bitcoin, good example. He, he said to me, he goes, he thinks Bitcoin is going to be like AOL was to the, AOL was to the internet. AOL was the way to go when you first got involved on the internet, as far as your mail and everything else. And it was the granddaddy. It was the the one to go to. And then of course, as time went on, new platforms came into being and AOL kind of went away. So who knows? Bitcoin might happen the same way, but right now Bitcoin is the daddy, it's the king man. It's but it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I love watching the swings. I, I a friend of mine also talked about. I don't know if you're familiar with what infinite banking is, Pacifico, but infinite banking was used for generations. They would use life insurance policies where they would borrow money from their own life insurance policy because the the reason they do it was for tax reasons. When you borrow money from an insurance policy you own. You don't have to pay taxes on that. Now, if you buy and sell stocks or crypto or anything else, 
whenever there's a, a capital gain, you got to pay taxes on that. That's the way it works. Now there are certain areas in crypto where you can borrow money from your crypto. You're not taxed on it. Now you got to pay that money right. back. You're paying it back at very low interest rates because it's your own money that you're borrowing. So those are areas that haven't even been explored or really taken advantage of yet in crypto, but it's coming. It's coming. Come oh, I definitely agree. Yeah. The point being that finance finances will always be a determining factor on how all of our generations move forward in life because money does make the world go round. There's no doubt about that. Oh, for sure. I think for as far as Bitcoin's concerned, like whether or not it, you know, sticks around as a store of value, whether it stays at where it's at or it becomes like a million dollars of Bitcoin eventually. To me, the greatest value in Bitcoin is just as a proof of concept for blockchain. Right. That's the really eternal thing that then opens up everything else. Like without yes. block, without Bitcoin, like Ethereum would not exist. And that's a platform where you're going to see so much more development because it is so much in, okay, hey, what can we actually do with this? Because we already know it works. And so now there's like a more open experimentation and everything. But yeah, I think it's going to be an incredible field to get into. And I would hope that given the lack of financial literacy and financial education that we give to people in this country, really in most of the world, that perhaps cryptocurrency becomes like a bridge to that, or if there was a platform that sort of merged the two, because I think a lack of financial education is one of the biggest you know, problems just in general that people experience. They don't know how to manage their finances. They don't understand the financial world. And it just becomes like a total black box mystery to them. I'll tell you what, man, what you just said, that's deep. It's under, I understand that completely. And you, you just hit that nail on the head right there, because I think you're right. It is going to be the bridge to financial literacy, because before the, the haves didn't want the have nots to know about finances. They liked that, that divide where today, I think the younger generations are more into crypto and what that is and what finances are. And I think it is the bridge. I think people are becoming more financially uh, educated. And I think it's what you just said is profound. I agree 100%. Definitely. So I'd love to know your thoughts on what generations are the easiest to sell to and what's the differences on selling to each generation? Just the basic psychology of the generations. If you're going to sell to the baby boomers are, are a greedy bunch. They're greedy. They want to be, they want to have the biggest house, the biggest car. This isn't good or bad. This just is. And part of that's because their parents went through the great depression. And so baby boomers only got one present for Christmas or one present for their birthday. It always made them want more. So if you want to sell to them, you've got to talk about what's in it for them. So, you have to have a lot of benefits for a baby boomer to buy something. If you go to Generation X, they were also called latchkey kids. When they grew up, mom and dad were both at work. And so they came home to an empty house. What they learned from that was how to be very independent. They can cook for themselves, clean for themselves. They can deal with crisis. So when you sell to Generation X, you got to understand they are independent and you have to let them make the decision because Otherwise, you won't get a decision from them. You go to the millennials. Keep in mind, millennials are all inclusive. They love all people. They don't care about the color of your skin, your religious beliefs, your sexual orientation. None of that matters. They are people. They love people. So don't ever disparage anybody. Don't be a racist if you want to deal with a millennial because you won't get there. So just the simple things. I am simplifying it a little bit by going through each generation. Like I said, Generation Z, you got to make sure that you can deliver to them because that's what they're used to. How can you deliver to them? will get you that their business, plain and simple.
I hope that answered the question. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Steve, how has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? And do you have a favorite? All of my failures have been my favorite failures. Uh, I didn't like going through them at the time, but they all paid off. Like I said earlier, when I was talking about everything you do in life, whether you like it or not, is setting you up for later in your life. I've had some devastating financial crashes and it humbled me. The fact that I had that financial crash humbled me to not be, because I made money since I was right out of the army. I made money getting into stunt work. I had money most of my life. And a couple of times when I lost the money, it made me humble myself and go, wait a minute. I be At one point I had to become a taxi driver. And I thought, oh my God, I've, I've hit a low in my life. I'm a taxi driver until I was a taxi driver. And then I figured out that's not a low in your life. Being a taxi driver allowed me to have intimate conversations one-on-one -on -one with my passengers in the cab. And I learned a lot about people, just the differences in people. It wasn't a, a punishment for me. It was actually uh, a privilege to be able to do that. Now, I didn't make a whole lot of money doing it. So of course I couldn't stay there. I'm used to a certain standard of living, but for about a year and a half, I drove a taxi and I learned a ton that I applied again later in life. To call it a failure, I think is the wrong definition, but it's the closest I can get to what I consider a financial failure leading to something else. I love that. Yeah, I, I got to drive for Lyft during my, after my first year of law school. And I just love, I probably did know, somewhere between 100, 200 rides or something that summer. And I just loved like getting to just meet all sorts of random people and a few people are, you know, pretty quiet and shy. But for right. the most part, yeah, you'd get to have like really cool conversations with one time met like a dude who worked on like thorium salt reactor development and stuff. And it's just like, <laughs> we're just like talking about nuclear energy. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. One time picked some women up that were like, I was in Orange County and they wanted to go to San Diego. I was like, okay, this is going to be, you know, um, it's going to be quite a ride. But yeah, it's so cool just to be able to very quickly meet tons and tons of different people in like in a very short span of time yeah i loved it and it's that and it's all good it really is all good i think oh totally agree steve what are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life there, there have been many throughout my life i've got some that are more current than others but think and grow rich i think is one of the greatest books of all time zig ziglar see at the top for sales is one of the best. Nowadays, Dot Com Secrets by Russell Brunson, I thought was very good. Underdog Advantage by Dean Graziosi, I think is an excellent book for people that want to be in business. And of course, my book, Rearranging Change, How You Market to an Ever-Changing World. <laughs> I just had to throw that one in Pacific Coast. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about your book. What would, you, what would you love people to take away from it? And what's one thing you wish you'd known before you started writing it? I don't know if I have the answer. I do have the answer for the second part of that question. The one thing I wish I'd have known before I started writing was how hard it was going to be to write it and publish it. I thought it'd be easier than it was. Although, like anything else, it was a learning process that I enjoyed at, in the end. What I want people to take from it, you know, I come from a Hollywood background. So one of the things that I learned way back then was to keep things simple so people could easily understand and hopefully be entertained to make them understand. So my book is written that way. I think if everybody reads the book, they'll find that it's an entertaining read. Uh, I tell a lot of stories, but all of them have a marketing message in them as to if you're in business, how you market. And all my stories lead to that. I even talk about one of the screenplays that I wrote and I use it in there to, and it explains to people, even though I use the real screenplay, 
I, at the end of it, I changed it. I said, what if this was really a commercial? And then people get the idea. Oh, I get it. Yeah, it was fun. And now I know what the product is. And, and if you read the book, you see what I'm talking about. By the way, Pacifico, just so you know, if anybody wants to get a free PDF copy of my book, they can always go to rearrangingchange.com. And of course, you have to give me an exchange. You have to give me your name and your email address. That's how I build my list. And I promise I don't send a whole lot of spammy emails. I'm not trying to sell you something all the time. And you can always unsubscribe at any time. But if you want to do that, go to rearrangingchange.com and you'll get a free PDF copy of my book. And I think it'd be worth it just to read the book. Very cool. Thank you. Yeah. So, Steve, in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Spending more time with my wife is been, I, although I've been married now for close to 30 years and my second wife, by the way, my first one, I was <laughs> during my second quarter of life, I was still learning some lessons, but um, throughout this marriage has always been good. But in the last five years, I've been able to slow down as far as what I being away from home and got to spend more time with her. And we actually went out and bought an RV where we can spend time on the road together and go see things that we've never seen before. And I think that's a new habit that I'm just so grateful for because I have fallen deeper in love with her than even when we first met. It's a great answer. Steve, <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so what's one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? And feel free to take the word investments as broadly as you. Well, real estate, my house and a rental property I have investment wise was good. And to be honest with you, I'm starting to learn. I'm getting more and more into cryptocurrencies right now and learning all about them. So that's going to be, if you ask me that question a year from now, I'm hoping that's going to be my biggest answer to you. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I had someone on a few weeks ago and he was like buying Bitcoin at $80. So I was like, okay. Right. <laughs> like, hard to argue. I will tell you this. I, I got a little lucky. I bought Deutsche coin at 0 0.007. And today it's 40 cents, but it went up to 70 cents. So it was a pretty good return on that investment. <laughs> oh, very nice. There you go. Meme coins. That's yep. And again, like you were talking about earlier, this is the infancy. They don't even know what they're doing yet. Certain ones do, you know, Bitcoin knows what it's doing. It is a storage for wealth right now, but I'm all for this ride. I'm all for this fun little ride. Just oh, sure. my advice to everybody out there. Don't spend any money you can't afford to spend. Definitely. So if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? That's a really good question. Probably, I, I would say in big letters, enjoy your life. And then in small letters, it's the only one you have. Just, I think there's so much wisdom in that. Good or bad, enjoy your life. Because there's, there's a lot to be enjoyed. Oh, absolutely. So what are your, some of your go-to self-care strategies, tactics, techniques, and so on? I love meditation. I have a massage chair in my living room. I take a massage every day. I think that uh, massage does a lot of things. It relieves stress and anxiety. It's great for blood circulation and nerve stimulation. And you need blood circulation to remove toxins from your body. That's how you remove toxins is through your blood. And a massage does that every time. So it's too bad that we don't, you know, this country 
unless you have a massage chair, people don't get massaged very often, maybe once a month or once a year or whatever. That doesn't, that's like going to the gym once a month or once a year. It's, if you can do something with your body every day, a massage is one of those things. And you talked about, you did yoga. Uh, good example. Yoga is similar to that whole idea of the massage. You're doing the stretches that make a difference in your body. So that's a daily thing for me. Plus I love to meditate. That's for my own personal, or I'll tell you what, the other thing, and this is something my wife and I are getting ready to do. We're going to get ready to buy a condo on the beach because I love to sit and listen to the ocean. Oh yeah. That's nothing like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I grew up near the ocean and then was recently living in California. Now I'm in Phoenix. Ocean care. <laughs> <laughs> in some sort of substitute, but right. We just get 120 degree summers instead. Of I it's dry heat. I live in Orlando, Florida, and boy, is it humid. Oh, yeah. The dry heat is fine at 100, but 120 <laughs> is like living in a stagnant blow dryer. <laughs> it's uh, ridiculous. No, I, I got to tell you, I was we were traveling cross country in the RV, and I was going through Arizona, and it was 114 degrees, and I blew a tire on the RV. Oh, oh my God. God, that was hot. <laughs> what a nightmare. <laughs> I just beg, just set it on fire and move on. Right. <laughs> just exactly. give up. Oh, geez. That's the worst. <laughs> so, Steve, this has been an absolutely awesome conversation. It's been so fun talking with you, but we have, this time has really flown by. And that brings me to my last question. And that is, what is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you? That is a really good question. There, so many kind things have been done for me, but I would have to say, wow, wow, Pacifico. <laughs> the kindest thing, I, I think the kindest thing is being forgiven for some of my transgressions from my wife. I think that's the kindest thing that anybody could have done for me. And, and believed in me to continue on. Mm. Powerful. Yeah. That's, I've never been asked a question like that. I love that question. <laughs> I'm going to think about that even after we're done here talking. Steve, Steve, thank you again so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to speak with you. And, and my pleasure as well. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, of course. Anytime. Definitely have to have you back on sometime. Yeah. A year from now, and I'll talk about my crypto investing. There we go. It's a date. <laughs> Excellent. So today's episode was brought to you by Sleepyhead, a vibrant one-woman show from award-winning clown Gemma Soldati. Visit patreon.com slash sleepyhead show to help bring the Sleepyhead show to stage, web, and TV. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us so that others can find it as well. And follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the LUE Podcast, or visit our website at theluepodcast.com. And if you'd like to support this show even further, I'd love to invite you to become a patron of the show. For as little as $5 per month, you can help us continue to produce high-quality shows with amazing guests like you heard today. To become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash the LUE podcast. We look forward to having you tune in next time for the next episode of Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm Pacifico Soldati, wishing you peace, love, and awesomeness. Yeah.